This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Want great new books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print a Bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Kidlit These Days, a book riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's literature to engage in the world through books in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on May 24th, 2020. How are you, Nicole? Hi, Matthew. I am doing pretty well. How are you? Nicole, I'm going to be honest. I feel so good when we connect and I really have felt I I guess I've been mourning the in-betweens with everyone what it feels like to not be connected I'm I'm in this maybe hypersensitive time where I I don't realize how much I need the connection until we are on Zencaster recording so I'm really (laughs) glad you're here with me I'm glad to be here and I'm glad yeah I think you're right there's such a a need for connection and it's such a rough time there's so many things going on so many things to process that it's easy to get into our little bubbles and forget how much we need the connection to feel good and to thrive um so yes i'm happy to be here with you too are you going through like any weird stuff on on um like streaming services or anything i feel like i am unsatisfied with what i'm trying to stream on netflix or trying new shows or trying a movie i'm just like i'm over this i need something to make me feel better and this is not the thing just hand me the ice cream no i actually found something yesterday that feeds all of the things that i need right now so i'm like oh good i'm a hallmark movie person right like give me a formulaic Like, I know that the town is going to be called Charity or Hope or something like that, right? There's going to be one black person in the whole town, and she's going to be the best friend of the whatever, right? And then there's going to be, like, this romance between the, you know, the flannel-clad so-and-so and and the blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I love that, and there's a new series on Netflix called The Steel Magnolias, which is that, and I'm like, yes, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. I need it, like, mainlined, like, give it to me. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling like I've found a little niche right there um, on Netflix. So mm-hmm. that's hilarious. <laughs> we've been <laughs> we've been like hopping between, um, you know, I, I mentioned before that I'm playing Animal Crossing and I love the quiet times at night when I can just like organize my island and plant <laughs> flowers. That feels really good. And my daughter um, has wanted to play a new Mario game, Daddy, and so we got out uh, in a previous console. And we've been playing through a new game. And that, that's been fun because then we go straight outside and she says, let's play Mario Kart outside. Let's play oh. Mario Maker outside. And so the games have been feeding our imaginative play. And, and that's really, really sweet. I love that. Um, I saw something someone posted recently about projects you can do with cardboard boxes right now in the quarantine. And one of them was making like a kind of makeshift race cart. So I'll send that to you. And um, maybe That's you guys can cute. do like some race cart Mario outside with the cardboard box. I'm, I might be able to picture what you're describing because at a previous school of mine for Halloween, uh, a whole grade level, a whole team dressed up as characters from Mario Kart. And they fashioned with suspenders in a cardboard box. They yes. fashioned their own cars yes. and wore Mario costumes. It was super cute. Ay, ay, ay. Well, anyway, let's let's get on topic. What are we talking about this week, Nicole? So we are talking about uh, trans children of color and their representation in children's literature. I was this kind of came up for me because I was reading a few months ago about Zia Wade, um, Dwayne Wade, and Gabrielle Union's um, daughter, and 
her transition, um, her gender transition and realization that she wanted to adopt this, you know, that she was a woman, a girl, um, and wanting to share her transition and her experience and um, her journey with the world so bravely. I just was so impressed and um, just energized by it. But I also was thinking, I wonder if there are stories um, for in children's literature that support her as she's making this transition and then also support other kids um, who are feeling similar things. And so I, I talked to you about this months ago because I really was excited to think about books that um, really highlight trans kids of color and share their stories. Um, so I'm excited right. to talk about that today. And in, in that time, we there are, as you would expect, very few books that uh, either address this topic sensitively or from a, a an own voice perspective. But there are some, and I think that the the landscape is getting even better for it. So that's exciting that we get to share a couple of those today. But first, um, would you mind sharing our next sponsor? This episode is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local independent bookstore at the same price as Audible for a monthly membership. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby, and The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. Listeners of Kidlit These Days can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. That's Libro.fm, code BR3, to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. Ooh, I love my Libro. I really love my Libro FM. <laughs> yeah, I, I moved from... Um, Audible, however long ago, I, just because I felt like I don't need to buy my books on Amazon. I don't need to get my audiobooks through them. I'd much rather, you know, tell a different story for real. Um, and, and so Libro directly supports independent bookstores, much like uh, Bookshop, which is a new website that, that sources all from independent bookstores. But I will also say <laughs> that the names of these books, I was like, these are not children's books. The names are so funny, though. But it's like, <laughs> such a fun age. Wow, no thank you. <laughs> Untamed. I was like, this is so... The names that they um, the names that they suggested are great. I mean, I love Libro because I can get um, all of my... Kidlit stuff on there. I'm currently listening to Kent State, which is the new book by Deborah Wiles, okay. uh, who has written a number of beautiful historical fiction books. But um, Kent State is is uh, written in verse in this case, so it's it's, oh, it's really wonderful. It. And the other book I have queued up is on along with the conversation we're doing today is is called Rick, which is by Alex Gino, who wrote George, which awesome. is a phenomenal um, middle grade novel about a a child transitioning so yay 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 for libro a little bonus little bonus promo of libro there (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into our topic where where should we start there's a lot to talk about here and quite frankly nicole i i'm feeling butterflies and i don't get butterflies a whole lot on this show but those butterflies of wanting to make sure we we do this right or knowing that I'm going to say something wrong, but I hope that our listeners can help with um, other book recommendations, other knowledge that they have. This is something that we are all learning together, and and so I want to acknowledge my humility in this and, and, and that I'm doing the best I can, um, but that I'm really grateful to look toward uh, transgender authors who are leading the way and sharing their stories. Yeah, I love that. It's such a good point um, because we are going to get it wrong. I think even in my discussion of um, Zaya Wade, I think I, there were some words there. I was like, oh no, did I say that right? Um, and so I just, I, I want us to be, um, I, I love people pushing us. So feel free, um, um, our listeners, to continue to push us to help us find new titles that um, that help elevate the stories of trans kids of color. Um, and trans kids in general. Um, yeah, so we're going to get it wrong a little bit, but we're going to try our hardest to do well um, and highlight authors and um, and information resources that could be helpful. I see you have some here. Oh, yeah. I think about um, how to introduce children to individuals who are transgender and allowing that be to be a safe space. And what I mean by that is this is something I come back to all the time. So sorry if I've mentioned it on the show before, but 
you know, we as adults are modeling constantly for our children, right? For, for children who are ours, that we have birthed, as well as children that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, our parents did the best they could. We always want to believe that. And also that I'm doing the best I can as a parent, and I'm also making mistakes. But I think about ways that when I asked questions as a child of people that I passed, um, how how a lot of times it was, oh, we don't ask that question, or don't look, honey, or keep walking, um, and how that can, I don't know, manifest feelings that there's something wrong with that individual for being, for asking for money, for dressing a certain way, for um, uh, presenting themselves gender non-conforming. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think one of the biggest things that I am trying to think about how I talk to the young people in my life is just doing away with the idea of binaries in general, right? And I think that's something that we as a culture are transitioning around, um, which is like, you know, people like to give their pronouns um, in emails or at meetings or on Zoom calls now. Um, And I think it's really important to do um, that, but I think also just to recognize um, that there aren't there isn't there aren't just two genders, right? So I think one of the ways to talk to young people about that is just that um, that people could be a he or a she, they could be a they, they could be you know they could just be their name, um, and giving the giving room um, for there to be multiple types of gender identity, even in just the language. I think from the beginning, because I think one of the things that's hard to do is that if we really drill into children that there are boys and girls and that's it. Um, then when they encounter people who don't fit into either of those two boxes, again, to your point, Matthew, there's like a, well, you know, don't talk about that. Don't ask about that. Don't blah, 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 because we're embarrassed and we don't know how to think more expansively about gender. And so one of the biggest things I've been trying to do is just, um, to not gender people when I describe them. That's been like a really important thing for me lately. It's just like, Unless they tell me what their pronouns are, I'm they're they when I describe them, right? And so trying to do things like that um, for kids in my life. I have and, two interesting connections to that. Can I can I touch on that in two ways? Yeah. First is that there's this the, the, a trend that I am noticing for a helpful way to approach this language um, was I think I first noticed it in this picture book called It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity by Teresa Thorne, who's also a podcaster. She co-hosts a great podcast called One Bad Mother um, and illustrated by Noah Greenier, who is a, a transgender um, illustrator or who is an illustrator and is transgender. And in that book, um, the language they break down is um, this person uh, was when they were born, everyone thought they were a boy, and it turns out they were right. When they were born, everyone thought this person was a, a girl, and it turns out they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also says um, about being both uh, boy and girl, or being neither boy nor girl. And just sort of expanding the understanding in two different directions, I feel like kind of gives us that compass that it's not one or the other. If we picture it more like a compass and how really on a map you can go in any direction, but we talk about north and south and east and west, um, that feels like it opens the space up a little bit more and helps children sort of understand. Because I think gender fluidity is is a complex thing, not only for adults to understand, but for kids who may have limited experience with with people talking about that with them. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think I love that as a frame. Yeah, and the other connection um, was from, and and pardon me that I'm actually drawing from interviews that I've done with these folks on on my other podcast, on the Children's Book Podcast. But when I interviewed Kyle Lukoff, um, who who will talk about a book later called When Aiden Became a Brother, outstanding book um, that was recognized by the Stonewall Award this year, illustrated by Keilani Juanita, um, it's about a child who, again, the, the parents got it wrong. When, when the child was born, um, parents thought um, that, that um, the child was a girl, but it turns out they were wrong. Aiden was a boy. Um, but in that case, um, Aiden prefers to be referred to as he. And so as you were modeling too, to, to not assign or 
predict gender of people outright when you're introducing them if you don't know. To say they, I think, is a really respectful thing to do. But then when you do know, then you show respect by using the pronouns they prefer. Mm-hmm. So um, I, th- I don't know why I'm feeling the need to clarify that, that, that the gender pronoun they doesn't denote that they're trans. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that for some people that that can be a place where they get a little confused. I think that's right. I think also, yeah, I think they, for me, like you said, it's, it's a sign of just respect that I, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions, right? And that's for people who are, who present as extremely cis, because I, I, I know quite a few people, right, who would present as cis women, right? But they don't, they don't identify that way internally, right? And so I don't want to make that assumption that just because you look like a girl to me, that that is how I'm going to talk about you, right? Because that may not be how you talk about yourself. And so like using they as a, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are trans, but it does mean that I'm, I'm just being respectful of whatever identity you put forward in, in terms of gender, right? Um, yeah, and all of that, all of that language right there that you use, Nicole, is actually exactly the way we can talk to children. That's mm-hmm. completely appropriate, completely the way just thinking aloud, saying, oh, I'm calling, I'm using this pronoun with you because we haven't met yet and I don't know you and I don't know how you prefer to be um, addressed. And in the future, you know, I work with kids from when they're in pre-K all the way through when they're in fourth grade. It's okay if if you change. Mm-hmm. It's okay if your preferences change. Yes. My preferences might change and that's okay. I'm constantly thinking about how do we engage children Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that models how our children then will engage the world. And there's this wonderful YouTube series that a colleague of mine had shown me um, that I I go back to all the time. It's called Kids Meet and it's on YouTube. I forget the, uh, let me click it quick to see the name of the company um, that does it is hi-ho kids one word like h-i-h-o um and their kids meet series um has so many different um folks that kids get to meet and ask any questions they want kids meet a little person kids meet a guide dog for the blind kids meet a dating coach kids meet a former member of the westboro baptist church Mm. kids meet a bank robber you can imagine these are difficult conversations but they are providing a safe place for kids to ask these questions. And sure enough, there is a um, kids meet a transgender soldier. And it's outstanding. They actually have, I believe, three cuts of this um, video because it's one that blends all the different interviews of all the different kids that got to meet this individual. But then they also have uh, cuts where it's just one child with all of their questions. And it's it's beautiful and wonderful and models not only the way adults can talk to kids, right? Mm-hmm. But also the way that kids can ask questions and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something that's really important for how we think about how we talk to kids, I think we as humans, and you and I have talked about this before, I think we as humans are are hardwired to classify things, right? Like it's helpful for our survival if we classify um, things, right? And so it's important for us to like make these boxes, right? <laughs> um, but I, I, I think we as the people who are working with kids and young people have to push against the boxes that we were, we ourselves were taught, right? And so you're taught very early on, very, very early what boy things are and girl things are, that there are only boys and only girls, right? And so I think we as educators and, and, and community members and parents and everything, um, can really work to try to not start that with kids, right? Like do not begin at there are only boys and girls, right? Because then you do have to say the, the, the thing that you were saying earlier around like, well, they thought they were a girl and they were right and they thought they were a girl and they were wrong. And I think that that's a helpful frame, but I think it's also important for us to, um, to help just dismantle these ideas around there can only be two of something, right? Um, only boys or girls, you're, you know, in, in the South, it's often like you're only black or white around race, right? And people who are not black or white have a really hard time naming their identity and their race in Southern places, right? So like, how do we help um, by not even beginning with these binaries with kids, right? Um, and I know that's hard, right? It's hard to undo um, because it's so hardwired within ourselves, but I think it's important. Does that make sense? 
It does. And it's making me actually think back to some of the things we did in an episode uh, about a year ago, last June, for Pride, um, with Kaysen Callender, who's the author of Hurricane Child, which is an, another phenomenal book um, by an own voice centering a trans child. And um, and it's exceptional. It's bringing me back to that interview that Karina did uh, with making space and asking questions and getting it wrong mm-hmm. so that you can get it right later yeah. or get it wrong later and keep learning. Yeah. So, so yay for that. In fact, I, I know you had a very special time doing an interview for this episode. Oh, I Why love don't we... this so much. <laughs> Tell me more because you've been sitting on this interview and I haven't had a chance to listen yet. Tell me, tell me. So I talked with the fantastic Kai Cheng Tom and she is a writer, a performer, a cultural worker, speaker, everything. But um, it's because this beautiful book that she wrote, uh, From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea, which is centered on a, uh, a trans or two-spirit um, kid of color, is just fantastic. Like, it's just so, so, so good. And so we got a chance to talk um, about her advocacy, about her work, about what her her goal was for writing the book and how she hopes that this will expand trans representation in children's literature. And so, yeah, I'm excited to share that interview. Well, I can't wait to listen. Here we go. I'm here today with Kai Ching Tom, writer, poet, activist, um, and the writer of um, From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea. Uh, Kai Ching, thank you so much for joining Kidlit These Days. Nicole, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be talking to you, even though it is uh, the middle of a pandemic. We're yes. still connecting and celebrating <laughs> children's lit, and that's that's awesome. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Thank you so much for making time in the middle of a pandemic. And I think that there is no book more beautiful to talk about in the midst of a crisis like this than Aww, yours. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it has it made me cry. I love this book. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about the origins of "From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea" and why you felt like it was a story that readers needed to hear? Yeah, thanks so much for asking that. Um, so, "From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea" uh, came about. I think maybe three or four years ago now. Wow, I can't I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, in in a moment where um, I was going through like a period of transition, you know, both in terms of gender, I was already trans identified, but I was like kind of moving deeper into um, identifying as a trans woman and presenting differently in public, and I was also going through a life transition in many ways, just in the sense of um, kind of going from uh, adolescent to young adults and, um, you know, uh, university job stuff was happening. It's all kind of a blur now, but I remember a lot was changing at the time. And um, I was struggling a lot as well with um, with some of those changes. Um, and uh, this disconnection and trying to be close with my family has always been like a major part of my life. You know, I have a great relationship with my parents now, but it hasn't always been that way. And um, uh, I, I was just thinking a lot about how how much I needed um, to have solid, uh, you know, dependable support and love from the people around me. And, you know, uh, you know, as one does, I go back to children's literature whenever I'm in yes. need of like solace, <laughs> right? And, and the book yes. I was reading at the time um, rereading at the time was Robert Munch's Love You Forever, which, you know, people who, who like children's lit and have read my book will, will you know, really quickly see the influence of Love You Forever on uh, from the stars in the sky, right? So because, uh, you know, Robert Munch is writing about this baby who is born and no matter what he becomes, he is always, you know, his mother's baby, you know, no matter how old he gets, no matter <laughs> how old his mother gets, he'll always be his mother's baby. Um, so and there's something so powerful about Love You Forever. You know, like you know, most most people can't can't read Love You Forever without crying. Well, if they're an adult, if they're a kid, you sometimes they just roll their eyes, right? But um, <laughs> when you're an adult, you read Love You Forever and you cry. So I, I wanted something like that. But um, the but you know, Love You Forever, um, you know, with with all power to it, and as much as I love it, doesn't resonate in, in a few particular ways. And you know, big ones are are that, of course. 
the main characters, uh, the mother and the child, are both white people, right? Like mm -hmm. they seem to be maybe middle class or suburban in some way, judging from the illustrations, right? Um, they uh, and they have they have a weird kind of boundary issues, particularly with mom, right? Like so, you know, in Love You Forever. Spoiler alert, <laughs> you know, kid grows up and mother is singing this beautiful song about how he'll always be her baby. But she also is, you know, following him and uh, breaking into his house in the middle of the night and watching him <laughs> sleep. <laughs> and on the one hand, that's poetic and beautiful. But on another more literal level, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> and, and um, you know, uh, you know, uh, has a bit of a weird haunting message around. Um, you know, parents who who struggle to let go, um, even when maybe they they should let go um, in certain ways. You know, not always in certain ways of their kids. So, um, you know, when I wrote uh, when I wrote from the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea, I wanted to capture that that powerful core magic of of you know love that follows you no matter where you go, no matter what you become. I wanted it to be specific to an Asian protagonist, a Chinese protagonist, but also, you know, someone who could be uh, relatable to, to racialized kids and families everywhere. I wanted the protagonist to be specifically uh, non-binary non identified um, because we just never see uh, books that, that um, address uh, non-binary uh, children characters. Um, and I specifically really wanted um, the conflict in the book to not be resolved um, by the parent herself. I wanted mother to be present. I wanted her love to be the catalyst, but I also really wanted to kind of show this um, dynamic where you can be connected forever. You can love your kid forever and your kid also can go off on their own and solve their own problems and find their own courage and and have you know like kind of an appropriate <laughs> distance, um, which is you know uh, how things unfold. Um, in that story so it, it's it's my it's my homage and my answer to love you forever and it's um it's a story i needed that i i think also other people need that's beautiful i think that leads me to another question i'm going to kind of jump ahead to totally. my question about um children uh, this episode is all about books written by trans people of color you know to children of color who might might also be trans and so i'm curious what ways do you think that adults can be modeling for kids how to talk about gender and identity in more inclusive ways and i mean that particularly for kids of color oh i love this question love 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 it you know so in my day job i actually i, I work as a mental health educator um, and I, I teach groups of parents whose kids have just come out as trans or not conforming in some way. Um, and I think the most important thing to know for parents, and, and particularly racialized parents, right, because racialized parents often have experienced barriers to accessing good services, you know, um, culturally appropriate, culturally safe services that are also gender affirming. I think the, the biggest thing is that you're not losing your kid. Um, mm -hmm. Your kid may identify as trans or queer, gender queer in some way, and they are still your child. And I think one of the most damaging things that can come out of, um, you know, ignorance, which which is not which is not to demonize parents. Ignorance is just not knowing something, right? And you can't you can't do something better if you've never been taught how to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the, you know, the, the most damaging thing that comes out, I think, is a lot of parents, uh, racialized and white, um, will say, "Oh." I feel like I'm losing my kid. My, my kid is dead. I've lost my daughter. I've lost my son. Um, you know, the, I, I've been deceived this whole time. And what that really does is it, is it, it, it rips open the fabric, of that the flesh of that relationships. And the young person thinks, oh, you know, my, my parent doesn't know me. My parent grieves this thing that I never was. My parent doesn't want to see me for who I am. Um, and um, when, when you when really, of course, uh, you know, your kid who is uh, trans or gender questioning is, is fully alive right there in front of you. And the fact mm. that they are sharing in some way um, that they are going through this transition or this questioning with you um, shows an enormous amount of trust. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, that they are trying to get closer, right? Um, and so what I would say is, you know, a lot of parents will get caught up in the like, oh, the medical stuff and the terminology and the language, and I don't know what to call my kid now. I would say, 
just just breathe, you know, let go of all that for a bit. You know, it's important, but it will come. The most important thing is remembering, remembering your kid need, still needs you as a parent, um, is alive right in front of you, and that the change that they're going through is one to celebrate, celebrate and be curious about that change, get deep into it uh, so, so that you can follow your kid through and the rest will come, the rest will come. It's such an important reminder. I think you're even the language you used around, you know, there's a person in la- alive right in front of you. Your child is alive right in front of you. Um, mm. And this idea that, you know, there is the, there is someone right now who needs your love and care and you can do all of your mourning and all of the other things you want to do privately. Right. But like you mm-hmm. as a parent have to stand in the gap of that questioning for your for your child. I think that's such a beautiful um, reminder. Oh, absolutely. Think, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. No, you've spoken in the past um, in in interviews about how people who faced adversity in the past can lead others to to their own greatness. And it's certainly Mm -hmm. a theme in this book. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, um, can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think such a relevant question now, right? Because we are all <laughs> suffering. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, no matter what, where we are, we're, we're suffering in some way. Uh, so, um, yeah. So what I'll say is this, you know, when we experience um, adverse, uh, you know, childhood experiences, or when, when we go through trauma, when we experience oppression, um you know, there are all the negative things that come with that, of course. And, and there are no silver linings in a tragedy, you know, ever, ever. But but there is opportunity in crisis. Um, what suffering and crisis provoke is, is, um, is, is this moment for us where we have to discover our strength. We have no choice, right? Our ability to survive, our creativity, our connection to others. And sometimes what, you know, what, what people will choose as we're seeing, you know, in a pandemic or as we're seeing sometimes when parents are really stressed out by, the, by their kids transitioning, um, is people will choose, you know, wrong, right? Like, you know, they'll choose to hoard all the food and Lysol wipes and resell them. <laughs> you know, they'll choose to throw their kid out of the house because they don't know how to deal with it. This is the wrong choice. You know, we, we, we have the opportunity as well to be brave and loving and to make the right choice, um, to, to hold your kid close and say, even if I don't know how to take care of you, I will find out and I will protect you to say, I'm going to share my Lysol wipes because, you know, that's how we all get through. And in this moment, once we've done that, we have the embodied knowledge of how to be brave, right? How to be loving and brave, how to stay connected through crisis. Um, and I think that marginalized people have this in spades, right? You know, trans people, people of color, queer people, you know, all kinds of marginalized folks, we have so much experience of having to make these survival choices um, that we can pass them on to others. And what I say to racialized parents, actually, who are often struggling with their trans or gender nonconforming kids is, you know, they'll say, I'm so worried about my kid experiencing discrimination, Um, you know, and I'll say, well, you know, you may not be trans, but have you ever experienced discrimination based on who you are? And they'll say, oh, yeah. And I'll say, well, how did you get through that? You know, what what was inside you that allowed you to survive and become, you know, the person you are now? Um, And then I'll say, you know, you can still share that with your kids. It's not really that different. The experience of identity is different, but the um, resilience and strength is not. Um, And so this is what I mean is once we've done, you know, our own suffering, our own um, our own struggle, we can pass that on to others and we will certainly need to, to share all of our resiliences and our strategies now. I think that's such a poignant point. And I think there's a question to be asked of our whole country right now about how do we learn um, from the most marginalized of our in our society how to make it through a crisis like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think all of your, everything you've just said, I, I echo a thousand percent. Um, so Kai Cheng, what are you working on right now? What's next? And can we look forward to anything in children's literature from you? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. I, you know, no one ever asks me what I'm working on in children's lit. They're always like, what's your next book of depressing essays about the apocalypse? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think I've done enough of that. But um, yeah, so I'm so excited to say um, I have 
Uh, you know, so the illustrator of From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea, you know, illustrators are so often undersung. Um, uh, Kai Yun-ching and Wyant Lee, uh, they, you know, they're so amazing and beautiful. And I'm, and I'm so delighted that Kai Yun-ching, one of them, is uh, working with me on a manuscript about Laika. So I don't know if you know Laika. Like she, the plant Laika? Oh, oh, no. no uh, <laughs> um, close. Laika, uh, the animal Laika. So the first dog to ever go to space um, on the Russian satellite Sputnik 2 back during um, the Cold War and the space race. So we're, we're writing and, and drawing. We're creating this uh, children's book for, for middle, uh, you know, uh, maybe... Um, middle elementary or, or, or kind of lower high school age because it's a bit it's a more mature kind of themes book about about this about this dog and and you know Laika is uh, Laika was um, this dog who was an orphan dog in the streets of Moscow she was a wild dog and she was um, taken in by scientists uh, Russian space scientists who you know were wanting to put animals in space and so we're telling this story from Laika's point of view. Um, as a dog who's looking up at the heavens and wondering where are her parents and hoping mm. that someday she'll get to go to the stars and learn what her parents' names were. Um, so I, I won't spoil more. It's, it's a, it, I, I personally am always captivated by that story of Laika and, and who maybe she was, right, as a dog. It is a sad story, too, because the space race is a story that ends in tragedy. And we're hoping to kind of weave in a lesson about... Um, about compassion and how humans affect animals so often in ways that aren't great, right? And how, how kids can, can change the future so that we don't re repeat the mistakes of the past. Also something we need to think about right now. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, really, all of these themes are like right on time is what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, I'm nothing if not topical. <laughs> Kai Ching Tom, thank you so much for making time to talk with us at Kid Lit these days. And we're looking forward to your work about Like It. And um, we're looking forward to whatever you bring next into the world. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so delighted. I can't wait to listen to this episode and all the episodes after. Book Riot Insiders is our sponsor this week. That's the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. Enrich your reading life with our new Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders. Short story, novel, and a brand new epic level. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read hosted online, available to all epic members. And there's no cap on epic, so the more the merrier. Each quarter we'll read a book voted on by epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. But wait, there's more. Get the full details on this and on all the other perks and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. All right, and now it's time, our favorite time for book talking. Yay! Remember, everyone, that the show notes are bookriot.com slash listen. Find episode 30 of Kidlet these days. We will have every single book mentioned right there in the show notes. Of course, you can also share other books with us uh, using hashtag Kidlet these days on social media or email us at kidlit these days at bookriot.com. We do so love getting your recommendations. Nicole, why don't you start us off? Yes. So I just want to shout out my friend Devin. About a year ago for Pride. Um, I did a post for Book Riot around kids' books um, with, you know, for LGBTQ um, pride. And so she gave me so many great suggestions. And the first one is The Boy in the Bindi um, by Vivek Shreya. And it's illustrated by Rajni Pereira. Um, and it's about a young boy, a young Hindu boy who falls in love with his mom's bindi. And bindis are traditionally worn by women. And so his mom allows him to explore this, learn more about what bindis are for, et cetera. It's a great book. I, we've mentioned it before, um, but I think it's a perfect one for this one. Lovely. Why don't I start us off with a picture book that's coming out soon. It's called Be Amazing, A History of Pride. It's by Desmond is Amazing and illustrated by Dylan Glenn. This picture book is so gorgeously illustrated, but it also happens to be the first picture book um, really breaking down a, a, an overview of the history of pride, but also the individuals who have um, done milestone steps 
in bringing LGBTQ identity forward. Folks like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson and, of course, RuPaul is in there and um, Harvey Milk. And these, these, these folks, these voices are important. They're part of U.S. history as well as LGBTQ history. So to have a book so fantastically illustrated um, and, and one that that shows faces of individuals making history um, is one that I think belongs in every library and one that will help foster a lot of 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 stories of of learning of of questions to answer it's just just one of those books where i'm like this is gonna do a lot of good just being on a shelf i love it um i want to highlight they she he me free to be um it's by maya gonzalez and matthew sg and this is we were having this conversation i think it, it is a struggle for adults us who were taught binaries around gender around race around sexuality and basically everything um, from the moment that we're born to rethink language and what it has to look like in the modern day. And this book is great. It just like, it just breaks down how to talk to kids about pronouns um, and how um, the the use of pronouns and being respectful with pronouns allows people to be, you know, gives them freedom to be themselves. And so I just really, really think this is a great one for having that pronoun conversation with littles. littles. That's wonderful. Uh, that's a book that I have not heard of either. I'm looking forward to checking that out. I mean, we always have this this thing, don't we? Where I'm like, I'm listening to your book talks going, oh, now I need to check those out too. Yeah. Um, which is wonderful. I have a book that is from a small publisher called Crocodile Books. And the book is called Rainbow Revolutions, Power, Pride, and Protest in the Fight for Queer Rights. It's by Jamie Lawson and Eve Lloyd Knight. And it's... It's a really, really pretty book without chapter breaks. The way that the book sort of segments its content, if you can picture it, is a full page illustration spread with either like a a, a title or a quote and just a a, a captioned paragraph to go along with it. And then the, the next page is your text. And then we go to another full page illustration and text and full page and text. And it, it just is so beautifully illustrated with faces and symbols and it's gorgeous and one page if i can just read an excerpt just to give you a sense of of the voice in this because it gives again a lot of vocabulary a lot of language i would say definitely for the upper elementary middle school crowd and up this is really really good but um this page reads what's in a name this chapter, if you will. Finding ways to represent queer people as a single community while also acknowledging all the different queer identities that exist has always been a challenge. The rainbow flag was designed to belong to the queer community as a whole, but the various groups it encompasses have fought hard for individual recognition. The word queer comprises many identities, gay, lesbian, ace, bi, pan, poly, trans, non-binary, gender queer. There's a vast and growing diversity of names and groups within the queer community, reflecting the fact that there are many ways of not being straight. And so I think there you're, you're hearing that it's just straight talk. It's it's let me break this down for you in a way that's not flowery or not uh he- heavily metaphoric, but rather just just talks about an apple being an apple. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. This is gorgeous, Matthew. Again, I am like I need to buy this. Um <laughs> Oh, if you could get like prints of this art, that would be the other thing to go. I don't I don't I don't know. I haven't looked that far into it, but there's I mean, if I read chapter titles like her story, the New York ballroom scene, um, the quote, I'm a homosexual, I'm a psychiatrist, the pink triangle. I mean, there are things here, a queer new world. There are there are moments in time here that, again, you might not have the language for or might not have even known that it existed. And here you can walk through history to present day and find all those through lines. It's, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, the next book, I was hesitant to put it on the list because I really did want to find books that were around kids of color and, and featured kids uh, who are trans. But I, I really like Neither. It's, it's a book called Neither, and it's by Arlie Anderson. Um, and Neither is Not a Bunny or A Yellow Bird, which are the only two things, again, a binary that exist in, in his world and so or their world. 
Um, and so neither has to leave to find a new land of all. And it's, it's really about learning about their own differences, learning how to define themselves um, and making room for difference, right? Um, and so it doesn't feature kids, it's, it's animals, but I really like neither and I, I think it's a good one. Yeah, there's another book. There's actually two other books, if I'm thinking about it, um, that sort of do a similar thing. And um, one is Not Quite Narwhal by Jesse Sema about, about uh, again, a character who doesn't quite fit in here or there. And um, that conversation doesn't necessarily need to be a queer story, but it's one that I think folks who identify as queer can find connection in that feeling of I don't quite live over here or over there I'm somewhere in between right there's also this wonderful picture book one of my favorite picture books it's called Bunny Bear it's oh, by I love Andrea Bunny Bear. Oh, it's just good it's by Andrea J Loney uh, illustrated by Carmen Saldana and and that book too is another story about not quite being one or the other but the space to 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 have your own space in the world so it's a great if I was laying out all of these books we're talking about and thinking when would I read what book to what age kid uh neither not quite narwhal bunny bear would be where I would start those are such good books for laying the groundwork so so good to have those with with us in this conversation so I wanted to share one that is brand spanking new and um is so so wonderful and you and I were talking about it like off recording, um, but it's called My Maddie. It's by Gail E. Pittman, who's written a number of picture books um, lifting up the queer community, illustrated by Violet Tobacco. Which and this is a, is a story name. about... Continue. Say it one more time. <laughs> Violet Tobacco is a fantastic name, and I just, yeah. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so this is a story that I, I read to all of my fourth graders uh, last week, I believe. and And it's about a... Uh, a parent who is neither one nor the other. And it, it, it does so in the most beautiful way that I, I really can't help it but read to you again, if you don't mind. Mm. There's no better way to, to model this, but it, it reads, Most mommies are girls, most daddies are boys, but lots of parents are neither a boy nor a girl, like my Maddie. But it continues with all of these other examples, Nicole, of things that are not one or the other. They're just sort of in between. Mm-hmm. It says, sometimes my Maddie's eyes look green and sometimes they look brown. Sometimes they look like both or something completely different. Why is that? I ask Maddie. They're hazel, Maddie says. It's a beautiful color all its own. We talk about hair being in between. We talk about liking rainbows and sunsets and all of these in-between things. And I feel like it's such a great way to draw that connection of non-binary thinking and also to see a trans parent in a book in a children's book it's illustrated in this beautiful way it's it's wonderful i love this is great line nicole a great line where um the the main character talks about how she loves getting kisses from her maddie because they feel a little like sandpaper. Oh. I'm like, that is so subtle and so good. It's so good. Wow. Oh, I love yeah. that. My Maddie by Gail E. Pittman and Violet Tobacco. Oh, yeah. Um, and Violet Tobacco, I just, I just, I can't, the name is fantastic. Anyways, um, so <laughs> I want to talk about, I want to caveat this conversation about middle grades books because um, I just think we're in desperate need of more middle grades books starring, leading you know, trans kids of color. Um, so there are a lot where trans kids of color are um, sidekicks, they're friends, they're best friends, but we're, and even with queer protagonists who are, que- um, who are the, you know, the main, the main characters, but mm. I, but I have, I, there's just not that many um, that are featuring um, trans kids of color as the, as the main person and are written in own voices. So um, one that I wanted to highlight was, uh, it's a, it's the Sidekick series by C.B. Lee, and the first book is um, Not Your Sidekick, which is ironic considering that the trans person is kind of the sidekick in this series. Um, but it's about uh, Jess Tran, who um, she's got superhero parents, and she's trying to c- kind of create her own identity in this family, and her best friend, um, Belle Broussard, is a trans boy. 
And so Belle is the uh, sidekick in the first book of the series, which is Not Your Sidekick. But then actually there's a sequel called Not Your Villain. And that bo- that follows Belle, um, who is a trans boy and also is a shapeshifter. That's his superpower. And so um, I, I wanted to highlight those books, but then also just say that there are not enough. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about Aida Salazar's um, book, that features a trans student or a trans young person as the sidekick, but I, I just feel like that doesn't fully highlight the stories and the um, that we need to see uh, for trans kids of colors in middle grades books. So, yeah, yeah. the The notion of representing a trans kid in a book, but not being trans yourself, writing from outside of your experience, is one that I can I can respect folks that don't want to put a trans lead in their book because they don't feel qualified to write that character, but they do the work to, to research and as best represent as respectfully represent uh, a side character as possible. I, I fully get that. And that is a step in the right direction, but certainly having more authors sharing more voices, sharing their story, sharing just characters that that are non-binary, that are trans, I think is, is a, a place where, where I hope we can get to. I, I'll bring back up, um, George by Alex Gino. I'll bring back up When Aiden Became a Brother by Kyle Lukoff and Kehlani Juanita. I'll bring back up It Feels Good to Be Yourself uh, by Teresa Thorne and Noah Greeny as books that are, we have these books and we, not only do we want more in the world, but but we can all do our part by supporting the books we have now. Show publishers and show libraries that these are books that we do want, that we do value. Mm-hmm. The more you buy books like these or add them to your library collection or check them out from a public library, the more you are communicating a need for these books. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy way that we can all do our part. Yep. Cool. Well, on that note, I I, um, I, I feel like there's going to be things that we left out and I can't wait to hear what those things are. We didn't even touch comics today. Mm-hmm. And... um. And I know that there's there's space there, and I hope that, that folks will uh, write in to let us know. Uh, but for now, let's let's close up. Thanks for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast, and we do always appreciate that rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people to find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. And may your coming days be storied, and may the good stories keep on coming.